wouldn't it be great if anyone could create these collectibles on the blockchain? Wouldn't it be great if you could hand this you know, to your mother? Wouldn't it be great if you could hand this to an artist you know down the street? I'm Tor Bear from Enigma, and welcome to Decentralize This. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Decentralize This presented by Enigma. I'm Tor Bear, I'm the head of growth for Enigma, and on today's episode, I am speaking with John Egan. John is the co-founder and CEO of Additional, which is an application where you can discover and create limited edition digital art. John is an experienced product builder and leader. He previously led Facebook's Workplace product, and he founded Caffeinated Mind, a Y Combinator-funded startup. John and Additional are helping show how blockchain and NFTs can shape the future of the digital art world and perhaps much more. On this episode, John talks with me about how Additional solves problems for artists and collectors, the importance of digital scarcity, and how the decentralized digital art stack is evolving from originating to purchasing to displaying art. John has a real vision for how blockchain and decentralized technologies can impact artists and collectors all over the world. And it was fun to think through what the next five years might look like for additional and the space at large. I hope his vision inspires you as well. So without any further introduction, here is John Egan. John, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Decentralize This. I am so happy to have you on. Oh, thank you for having me. So I'm going to start this podcast the same way we do every episode. Just going to ask you personally professionally, who are you? Who is John? <laughs> uh, well, my name's John Egan. I'm a co-founder and CEO at Additional. Uh, we're a startup in the blockchain space that's focused on making it easy for anyone to put digital assets, and in this case, primarily art, uh, on the blockchain and distribute those out and let other collectors uh, find and collect those items. Who am I historically? Uh, so previously, I owned a small high-speed data transport company that was funded by Y Combinator out in San Francisco uh, and was bought by Facebook back in 2012, uh, where I worked on uh, large-scale infrastructure problems, recruiting problems, uh, and actually helped start the uh, enterprise side of Facebook, which is now called Workplace by Facebook. Um, I left there uh, primarily to take a little bit of time off and explore some of my passions in blockchain, uh, which eventually led me to starting this company uh, with my two co-founders, Cole and Zach, uh, who were also from Facebook. Um, and we, uh, we came together and, and put our heads together on what we wanted to build uh, and eventually came up with uh, Additional, which is the product that's out today. Awesome. Well, Facebook's been in the news quite a bit, at least in the last week or so. Uh, for what they've been working on in the blockchain space. And it, it'll be interesting to see, maybe I'll ask you later, your thoughts on you know what a company like Facebook might be best suited to do in this space. It seems like you know blockchain hopefully can solve problems for everyone. Maybe where we are in, at this stage of the industry, it hasn't yet, but it certainly seems like everybody thinks it can. Uh, so what I want to understand before going into additional, which is awesome, uh, is just why are you? passionate about blockchain? You said it was one of the passions you wanted to explore after leaving Facebook. What makes you excited about this technology in particular? I get really excited about any technologies that lower the barrier of access, um, regardless of what that you know access may be. I think the, the internet 
you know, back when it started to really take hold, um, did this kind of magical thing where it connected people all over the world to an information system that they previously, you know, the closest they could get to was going down to their local library and checking out books. Um, and when when blockchain kind of started to have its its you know I might even call it its second renaissance, <laughs> which was which was the the emergence of Ethereum, and we started seeing this opportunity for it to be more than just digital money, but for it to actually be you know these programmable contracts that can do things like assign ownership, uh, you know provide world thinking computers, um, all of these all of these kind of like opportunities started to pop up. Uh, in my head, and I think I think in a lot of developers' heads, around you know, well, what could we maybe do with that technology? How could we apply it in ways that will open up opportunities for people that they don't yet have uh, through the existing internet? Um, and I and I remember sitting really clearly in a, in a coffee shop with with Cole, one of my co-founders, um, long before we did any of this, and he was really excited about you know sort of this basic idea of programmable money, and where you can come in and say. You know, I'm going to give you a loan, and there's going to be programmable requirements written into that that guarantee that the rules on that loan will be properly applied before that's paid back to me. Um, and then we started talking about a little bit more generally around the ownership concept, and you know, what are the things you can own, and how could you own something digitally where it's not just your ownership right is defined by you know a major multinational corporation, but is actually defined by this large consensus algorithm. All these things just seemed incredibly exciting. And I think, you know, as a technologist, as a builder, as someone who's worked in the space my whole life, blockchain kind of kicked off that pattern match in my head of this is another, you know, beginning of a huge opportunity, even if we don't know quite what it's going to be. And I just wanted to be part of that. That makes total sense to me. I mean, it's def definitely a lot of smart people have come into this space and looked at the applications for blockchain and, and built a lot of cool things. We we had one of the um, the founders of Scent on here, Max who was talking about, he was inspired by something very similar. Uh, this idea of like blockchain reducing barriers for people, barriers to participation. And I'm really interested in this application layer, right? The, the idea that this is what end users are actually going to touch. There's so much at the infrastructure level, uh, like what we're doing at Enigma, but you know, even Ethereum itself, like that, that's more infrastructural. What are people actually going to be touching on a day-to-day -day basis? How do we make it more usable? So let's talk about additional specifically. So first of all, you know, I'm going to ask you to tell me what it is. Uh, and then I want you to like just frame it in form of like, what's the main problem that additional is trying to solve and, and who is it solving that problem for? Maybe that's the best way to explain it to our audience. So I, I think it's almost a little bit easier to give you some of the history of additional to be able to answer that question, if that's okay. So, so when this company first started uh, uh, last year in 2017, we actually first created a wallet. So we created a wallet that was called Vault, and Vault was a DApp browser on your phone um, that anyone could download, uh, and it had access to you know the existing DApps that were out there of the day, you know the CryptoKitties and uh, and OpenSea and uh, Ethereum on. And uh, we didn't originally build it to to have anything to do with NFTs. And in fact, we were we were getting ready to launch it when we sort of noticed that we ought to include the sort of newer thing that was happening these these NFTs, these ownables, and we should represent them visually in the app. And and honestly, what we what we learned from that experience was that that was the one piece 
of this sort of blockchain world that if you put it on someone's phone, if you give it to someone who's never used blockchain before, if you say this is sort of a new world where you can go and interact with programmable money and these distributed applications, you know, the piece that really got people excited were these, these little digital visualizations, you know, that they could have and that you could say to them, that's actually yours. And what you can do with that is you can take that and it now has portability across to all of these other digital or distributed applications out there. And you can do things like, you know, breed your crypto kitties, or you can do things like sell uh, your Ethereum on. And that was the piece that started to get people excited when we'd sit around the dinner table and tell our families about it. And so, so the result of that kind of learning experience for us was to, to kind of put Vault to the side and say, and look really closely at the, the NFT world. Um, I assume your audience is, is familiar with NFTs or, or should you want me to give kind of a definition there too? Uh, you can break it down a bit, but these are non-fungible tokens and, and you can give like maybe like right, a 10 right. second definition for anybody who might not be familiar. We've covered it on some previous episodes, but not, not always in depth. Great. So the, the short version is is a, a non-fungible token, right, is, uh, is, is a uniquely valued asset. So where money is fungible, every dollar is worth a dollar. And if you and I trade that dollar, we both still have the same value. A non-fungible item is like a baseball card where my Babe Ruth card is probably worth significantly more than any other card that you might have. And so when we talk about NFTs, we're talking about digital collectibles specifically. And anyway, so the outcome of all of this was we, we sort of took a step back. We looked at the NFT market as a whole. And we had this realization that if you wanted to participate, if you wanted to be a creator, it was very difficult. You had to be technically capable. You had to understand solidity. You had to be able to roll a secure contract. You had to go and you know, hire a set of artists. And then it would cost money to try and roll this out and put it on the network. And then after you've done all of that, you have to go out and convince people that they should be interested in and discover whatever NFTs you've created. And so the base idea behind additional in the early days was, wouldn't it be great if anyone could create these collectibles on the blockchain? Wouldn't it be great if you could hand this you know, to your mother? Wouldn't it be great if you could hand this to an artist you know, down the street and say, take these digital assets that you're creating already, whether they're you know, photographs or whether they're um, actual you know, art, artistically designed digital assets, and, and, and put them out there onto the blockchain for other people to own. And it's as easy as using something like Instagram. And that was sort of the base beginning of the idea that, that eventually became additional. So additional is now a place where anyone can come create ownable, collectible digital art uh, or collect it for themselves and have uh, interconnectivity to other applications where they can then carry that art and do interesting things with it. That's really cool. So like, what are some of these interesting things that you're foreseeing people being able to do with, with digital art? Because like, it does seem like the killer app here really is this idea of digital scarcity and ownership. But I'm really curious to see, like, where do you envision, like, because this seems to be the, the key value out of a blockchain, right? Enabling an open ecosystem. So now with this open ecosystem of ownables or collectibles, what, what do you think people, what do you think people can do or what are they already doing? So I think, I think our job is to make it so people can do as many different things as possible so that we as a community can learn what is and isn't valuable. Um, you know, when we, when we first turned this on, the, the only part of the game at all was, or sorry, there wasn't actually originally this idea of, um, of kind of like claiming and having a limited number of them. When we were first beta testing, if you put something out on the, uh, on the blockchain, if you created a, a collectible and additional, actually unlimited people could come in and claim them. And it felt much more like the, the scarcity wasn't there. 
um, it wasn't really until we kind of flipped that switch and said, well, that's that's kind of silly. That's a little bit too much, just like, you know, existing Twitter or an Instagram. Let's like, let's go and turn the scarcity piece of this on. Um, but let's not involve money, right? Let's make it so that the, the scarcity comes through the initial demand, where when you come into additional and you see what's currently available, you might see a couple of interesting works that have one available or everything's gone or two or three available. Everyone gets kind of this initial opportunity to come in and claim these things for free. And then based on how much demand there is for capturing the free item, you tend to see that flow into the secondary market of things being, for example, sold on OpenSea. So our learning so far has been that, you know, the artists, the creators in additional, um, who tend to go on to have, you know, successful secondary market offerings where they'll actually be able to sell things for money, you know, are, are the ones who are in here doing something kind of kind of unique, right? They're creating what I would almost call, uh, branded is the wrong word, but sort of like almost a personal branding into the works that they're creating so that they're a little bit more recognizable as theirs. Um, we have a user uh, named O Savage, uh, who's had been creating content since day one um, on additional, who eventually got picked up by a first edition art who, uh, who I, I believe you interviewed recently. Um, and they created an entire gallery that's not on additional, but it's of content that was created with additional. Um, and that's really kind of magical, right? That's a very magical piece of blockchain is uh, Jake can go and create this first edition gallery and feature an artist who created work in additional and eventually it will sell on something like OpenSea, right? And I think that's the kind of content, the kind of content like what O Savage is creating that, that makes all of this ecosystem start to make sense. He's creating content that people want that's in demand that makes sense when it's featured around the biography that is who he is as well, but then goes on to be sold and be seen to have real world value. It's super cool. And the way that you're describing it, right, as an ecosystem, I'm seeing it now as sort of like um, like an open ownership stack for these sort of things. Like we talk a lot on this podcast and elsewhere about like the decentralized finance stack or like the Web3 finance stack where things are more open and here's how the credit piece of the stack looks and here's how you might uh, handle security in that part of the stack. And now we're talking about like an interesting stack of functionalities. Like one part of the stack is where the artists come to actually digitize their work or at least digitize ownership of their work. And then we're describing the marketplaces, these open marketplaces where people can interact. And now we're also getting to the point where we're describing like, what does a digital gallery look like when somebody actually wants to display this art? You know, I'm starting to see all these pieces come together, but where where do you think we sort of stand in the life cycle of all of this? Like, do you, do you feel like there's parts of the stack that are still missing to have this be really powerful for creators? Or are we finally getting to a place where like maybe everything is there? Well, so, so first of all, the way, the way that you describe this is exactly how we tend to talk to people who are outside of the blockchain space. When we describe additional, we talk about being part of this open ownership network. And that's what that's what the blockchain is, right? Like I think I think we'll 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 move pretty quickly away from the statement of you know blockchain and we'll move towards what it actually is, what it's enabling, which is that ownership. In terms of of how mature the stack is, I I I think you know to my previous statement, I actually think it's the creators who push the stack forward. I think the minute you have content going into the blockchain that has high demand behind it all of the supporting pieces of the ecosystem will start to pop up very quickly, right? This is, this is the opposite 
of the state that a lot of blockchain is in now, which is a state of, you know, let's let's build solutions before the problems exist. But as soon as you have content being created that has high demand, the problem is there and the solutions will make themselves apparent quickly. And I think we have the very beginnings, like what's what's pretty exciting about the moment that additional came out sort of this time in blockchain is the the base pieces are starting to all be present so that you can at least go through the flywheel of you know what creation distribution and then sale looks like um and i think that's really important but i think all of these pieces are still in their infancy i think if you you know if you talk to devon over at OpenSea about the state of you know the marketplaces for nfts if you talk to jake about the state of digital galleries um or if you talk to us about the state of creation i think all of us would say to you that you know we we we're at the beginnings. You know we're we're not even at the web 1.0s. We're still sort of at the almost at the dial-up BBS era of how this works. And what's exciting is that despite it still being a little bit difficult to do all these things, there's a community of people out there who are who are suffering through the technology to reach this where this end is either the distribution of their work, the sale of their work, the sort of awareness of them as artists. And that's, I think, what's indicative usually of something being at the beginning of what can eventually be an exponential growth curve, right? Is you want to see a niche group of people who really care. Um, so so I think the, the short answer to your question is, no, we're not there <laughs> in terms of, you know, a complete ecosystem. But yes, we've got, you know, the beginnings of a functioning economy. And that's really exciting. I like that. I mean, I like that you've obviously got an eye on the whole ecosystem beyond your small piece of the stack and, and how you focused on interoperation with these other layers. Obviously, there's no other way to to create this sort of – I think of it as creating a new industry from scratch, the, the digital ownership industry in a sense. But I, I have to ask, you know, obviously you're using blockchain. You're not necessarily going to put it front and center in the marketing materials, but, you know, culturally – I feel like blockchain runs into its own barriers, and I think this idea of digital scarcity has its own cultural barriers because we created an internet, you know, this wasn't necessarily the intent, but we created an internet where, like, information wants to be free, and it there's zero marginal cost of reproducing and distributing data, and that data can take the form of a digital artwork. And I don't know if culturally we're ready to say that there's a like one digital asset that by virtue of when it's been created or how it's been created that has more value than another. It feels like value in the art world specifically, you know, is created by narratives. It's created by, you know, what, what people believe has value. And in so many ways, obviously like having a first edition, having like an author endorsed work, like there is value to that for the physical world, right? Like an original Rembrandt has so much more value than a forgery for obvious reasons, uh, or, or than a poster for that matter. So are we culturally going to face barriers trying to like have people understand why these original editions are, are more valuable, you know, or, or do you think that like, we're ready to understand that concept? We just haven't had the technology to enforce it. If that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And I think you're right. I think we talk a lot about 
you know, the, the internet was built on a concept of abundance, right? Not scarcity. <laughs> it was built on this idea that now all the information is, is available to everyone. Um, I think I think the opportunity here that's a little bit different is we're reaching a point in the in the sort of cycle of growth and, and of the internet and of, of technology in general dictating kind of how we live our lives, where there are starting to be digital assets that are unique and are valuable and that we want to have in our lives to digitally represent ourselves as a little bit different from the people around us. Uh, whereas historically, that wasn't the case, right? Even even up until, you know, maybe it hasn't even happened yet, but up until a couple of years ago, you know, you're mostly defined by your physical quality, right? You're defined by the pictures that are hanging in your house. You're defined by the car that you drive to work. I think we're approaching a generation that, that doesn't think the same way, that thinks a little bit more about, you know, what is it about their digital footprint that makes them unique? And what is it about the things that they digitally own and place around themselves? Um, and, and, and we haven't seen that fully come to fruition yet. And again, I'll point to the ecosystem a little bit to say that's where we're starting to grow the opportunities because the, the, the non-fungible token, the piece of art created on additional, the digital asset, right? These things are as valuable as the context is that you can place them inside of. So if you take like uh, like Decentraland, right? And you look at the little things they're starting to do where you can go and put, I think you can hang crypto kitties on your wall now there, right? You have this kind of application you can start having uh, to, to an NFT that you have so that other people inside of that context are now aware of these scarce options you have. And we've seen this happen for years in games, right? This isn't new. It's it's like owning a hat, <laughs> you know, in, a, in, in Team Fortress or owning a skin um, inside, of a, in, inside of a game today uh, or Fortnite. Um, and I think those things are starting to become familiar. People are starting to be able to brag about the things that they have digitally because they spend most of their lives in a digital environment. And I think that's what's starting to change and that's what's going to power the, um, the kind of acceptance of these digital assets as being something that matters as opposed to just being you know, something that's on your phone when you're otherwise mostly physically interacting with other people. What do you think about the link between the physical world and the digital world? Because obviously like we're describing this for digital assets and scarcity and obviously physical assets have a, have a different sort of uh, way of enforcing scarcity. It's just that they you know, can't be easily copied or reproduced period. But you know, if, if we're, are there going to be ways you think to have these digital objects have more relevance in the physical world and, you know, vice versa, do you think we're going to find more ways to make physical objects have relevance in the digital world? Like, it just feels like there's such a separation right now that like blockchain could be such a great bridge for provided we build the right infrastructure. Right. So, I mean, the, the, as a technologist, when you look at blockchain, you know, as compared to kind of the traditional way of tracking ownership in the physical world, you, you flip the economics on there on, on its head. Right. So in the uh, in the physical world, creating the, um, the record of ownership, you know, sort of writing that down on a piece of paper is, is inexpensive, almost free. But storing and validating that is quite expensive. If you want to store the you know, record of ownership of your house with the city and then validate that, you're going through lawyers, you're paying fees, you're doing filing and searching. You know, blockchain flips that over, right? The creation of the asset, storing of it costs money, costs gas on the Ethereum network. The validation of ownership you know, cost drops to zero. So I think we'll start to see, in general, more record keeping of physical items 
teams in the digital world, simply because the organizations that are currently responsible for the validation of that ownership are already overwhelmed and will simply become more overwhelmed. And so we'll see city governments begin to adopt this more aggressively. We'll see you know, even ticketing agencies that are trying to track who can and can't come into events start to use this more aggressively. Um, you know, we'll start to see people recording uh, buying and selling of their vehicles this way. And I, and I think the push there um, is going to come a little bit differently than maybe we expect. I think it's actually going to come from the organizations that are already involved in this validation process where it's a pain for them, right? Where, where it costs money for them to do that validation. Um, and so I think that's going to start to give us the middle world, which is important because that will give people an introduction to the idea of, oh, I look up my, um, you know, I look up my car uh, title now online instead of looking it up in my glove box you know, or wherever else I'm keeping it. Um, I noticed insurance cards have almost moved this direction entirely. And, you know, in New York State, it's legal to have your insurance card digitally and to show that insurance. And I'll never see a piece of mail, you know, from Geico. It's all done digitally, and that's my record. So I think we're going to see more and more of that happen, um, which will start to kind of bridge that gap. Uh, I worry that space will be a little bit messy. Anytime you kind of get into a transition, it will be a little bit messy. But once it starts to happen, then the digital representation of it becomes easy, right? Because representing now digitally that John, me, so long as I can prove that it's me on the blockchain, owns this vehicle, this house, uh, you know, works at this job, <laughs> has these accounts, right? All of these things suddenly become interesting open information that can be represented digitally in whatever application platforms people build. And I think that becomes, you know, companies like, like, like us where we're building additional becomes our job to go do a really good job of representing that information in a useful way to people so that they can you know, have enjoyment from using it and they can you know, enrich their lives through the use of that content. So when you talk to artists, let's talk about the artists in particular, because that's, that's at the top of this whole ecosystem, right? Like you can't have an ecosystem for you know, art ownership and distribution and display unless you have people creating this art. So when you talk to artists in this whole process, what are they telling you like the pain points are and what are they the most excited about? Is it the idea that more people will see their work? Is it the idea that they can extract more value from it? Or or is it just like, is it something else about this whole space that, that seems to be exciting, at least for these early adopters like we're seeing with additional? So, so what's really amazing about the artists in this space, and, and it's probably true for artists in, in, in lots of areas, is, is mentally in the headspace that these artists are is so far ahead <laughs> of, of where the rest of us are in terms of thinking about what it means to be a digital native. Um, my, my favorite story for this is uh, one of the early users of Additional was a user uh, named Connie Digital. And she was posting these little red letter posters up, you know, sort of making loud statements about what it meant to digitize artwork. And I had uh, sent her a message on Twitter and I said, hey, we really love these. You know, we're, we're printing them out. We're putting them up in our office. You know, can, can, can we pay you, you know, some sort of a printing fee to get a few copies of this? And, and her answer was very direct. It was no. You know, I, 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 I want you to have this live digitally. We are digital natives. You know, I'd rather you put screens up in your office and display the things that you own inside of your wallet. Right. Like the, she's she's already there. She's already living this sort of digital native world of where her art belongs. And when you when you when you put yourself in that position, instead of the position of a physical artist attempting to transition to digital, then the problems become much more apparent. Right. Like she's already a digital native. And so her challenges become things like, well, how do you you know, how do you monetize 
uh, digital native work? How do you how do you make sure that an audience of people are aware of the content that you're creating that it's available? You know, how do you how do you maintain a relationship and contact with the people who do own your work so that that relationship becomes more dynamic than people who are maybe creating physical art? Um, you know, we, we can always think of these things in some ways as competitive mediums. And when you do, you, you know, you realize that digital art has a, lot, a long way to go when it comes to, to things like celebrating the owners of that content with the artist. You know, today, if you buy something, you might, you know, give the artist your contact information and get invited to a gallery showing. But in the digital world, you can, you can maintain, you know, a, a permanent relationship that's recorded to the blockchain and is guaranteed to be accurate that lets you have a pretty interesting and dynamic relationship with that artist long term um, in ways that we haven't even imagined yet. I think I would highlight that probably as like when we're looking at like, what does it mean to be a digital native? What does it mean to have digitally native art is this idea of forming relationships and interaction where we've gone through a few centuries now, right? Of just like you would go to a museum to observe something and that was your interaction with the art or you've sat in the audience at a theater and that was your interaction with the art. It was very much one way. It was, it was very broadcast driven. You, you couldn't contribute back to the performance or back to the display of the art really in any kind. And I think what the digital world has enabled is this, what you're talking about. Like you can now have a relationship, if not with the artists themselves, at least with the piece of art and you can change it and you can contribute to it or you can remix it. And when we're thinking about what the next generations are going to think art is, I think they've grown to have an expectation that all art is interactive, that there is no separation between the observer and what's being observed. Like when I see, you know, my younger brothers play games or like even younger people like playing Fortnite, it's like they have an expectation like this is art to them and they have an expectation that they will be able to do whatever they want with that environment, whether it's, you know, see a live concert or shoot someone like that's. That's really their choice, how to interact with that environment. It's, it is, as you're saying, like really, really cool to see. Yeah, I think, I think it really highlights this question of, you know, what is it to use art, right? In, in the physical world, we, we have this, this sort of singular thing you can do when you have art. You can put it on your wall, right? Or you can display it at a gallery. Um, and these are sort of the two major things you can do, right? But, but in, with, an, with an NFT, uh, with a piece of digital art, you can ultimately do all kinds of interesting things uh, beyond even just the showing of it, right? You can, and that's all related to the idea that it's easy to authenticate the ownership. Um, so, so if you have a tool set that lets you do quick and easy authentication uh, of those owners, then artists can do everything from, say, give you access to a live performance they might be doing, um, all the way to something as simple as simply send a newsletter out once in a while to give their uh, patrons updates on what they're up to. Um, I think I think something we we often forget about the the private art world is just how much art is is owned by you know what you almost call unknowns right just how much of it is put away uh, I think it's something like half of Picasso's paintings are not on display anywhere and if you know someone like you or I wanted to go and look at one if we were if we were doing something relevant to needing to see one of Picasso's works that's not public right we 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 have no process to go through to identify the owner and even reach out if we wanted to. Um, and I think this is like this is something that that hasn't even been no one's even begun to touch inside of the blockchain space. And it's something that's, you know, we, we sort of see as a challenge in front of us in terms of unlocking, but really figuring out how to utilize that owner 
uh, network in a way that's valuable to people who wish to be collectors of that content, as well as to the artists who originally created it, would be one of those things that would actually help us to surpass what the physical world's capable of. Yeah, that's that's super exciting to me as well. So may, maybe if this is what we're talking about, right, like this, where, where this whole space is going, let's talk specifically about like where you're hoping that additional goes. Like, let's say we're we're two years in the future now and additional has grown in a way that you were hoping it grew. What does it look like or who's using it or, or how big has it gotten? Like, or, or what's one crazy idea you've thought of about how it's contributed to the growth of the, you know, digital art world in general? So I, I think if additional is successful, it becomes this, this entry point for anyone to come in and find the digital content that they want to have ownership of and discover the creators who, um, who are creating that content. And, and I say content generally because I think, we, I think we make mistakes sometimes of talking about art as only the visual medium. There are, there are countless different ways that people can represent themselves and create art and media and content. And we've only scratched the surface here, I think, by permitting you know, basic digital art uploads. Um, and I think if additional successful, it gets much bigger than that, right? It becomes more about all of the different digital content um, that you own, that you have access to, and that relationship between you and all of those creators. And it becomes, you know, today it's a feed of find, claim, collect, you know, and display. And I think in the long term, it becomes find, click, display, collect, interact, where that last piece becomes potentially ultimately bigger than all of the other pieces. And I think that's, that's what's really exciting to us, you know, is like, what is the connectivity network that we're creating? And what are all of the different pieces of work that can connect people? And I think that's what we have to pull off in order for this to become something bigger, you know, than what it is today. Um, and I think that ends up being really good for everyone because that grows the audience and it helps artists be able to be connected quickly to the people who want their work. Uh, and it grows the creator side where people start to be more and more creative as they try to create the things that people want digitally that maybe historically they didn't even know they wanted in the physical world. What I'm interested in is like, will this help creators not only like have a better livelihood, you know, and make a career out of being creative, but also like, will it help them become better artists? Like, will it give them a better understanding of what people are actually looking to not just consume, but interact with and, and like form a real relationship with, you know, if, if the only metric we have today is how many likes something is going to receive when you post it up on Instagram somewhere. And what we're trying to get to is a world where, you know, you can actually measure how, how somebody is interacting with that piece. Are they, are they reusing it elsewhere? Are they sharing it with people? Do they care about it enough that they want to be an original owner of that digital work? You know, this sends such a stronger sing signal to an artist who's trying to build an audience. And it seems less gameable, I guess, in a sense to me, if, if they can form these kind of authentic relationships with people who are now consuming, reusing, interacting with and displaying the art. Do you, do you have any kind of hope for that? I think if we do our jobs right, you know, we, we hopefully don't just go and recreate the, you know, Instagram influencer economy that already exists. Right. I think, uh, I think I've said, I've said before in interviews and, and I still stand by this where I think additional's goal is not to create uh, more Kylie Jenner's right. Additional's goal is to create more, more Picasso's. And I think if you look at the, the kind of random walk 
that the average artist takes on their way from obscurity to popularity today. Um, it's this it's this very kind of close knit connection based, you know, small who do you know, who can fund you, who can support you network of people. And if we do our jobs right here, um, we make the world of collectors as accessible to every artist in the world as the world of followers is to, you know, every social influencer on something like Twitter. And I, I think that network has never been built before. And does it make artists better? I think so. But I think it also starts to challenge a little bit our, our statements of what we think art is. Once we've gone, you know, more and more digitally native, right, it, it's completely possible that people won't want oil paintings anymore. They'll want, you know, living art that changes over time, that mutates based on the owner, that, you know, has a little bit of a different version of itself, depending on who the creator was or what geographic region it's currently in. There are all these amazing kind of things that can be injected into the art um, because it's digital and because it's something that lives on the blockchain. Yeah, but I kind of see it the other way too, where it's like just because, you know, we've created this new class of artwork or this new class of art collecting or ownership, maybe it gives even more valuable Maybe it gives even more value to traditional art because that art is immutable and we've grown so used to digitally native art that is reproducible. It's like, I don't, I don't even think this is, you know, this isn't zero sum. I don't think it takes value out of traditional art. I actually see it as like, because you're creating something that is not and cannot be that is mutually exclusive to physical art, just in its design and, and how it can be used and displayed and owned they they both acquire more value because you've just created more optionality for a collector and you've created more collectors. And maybe this just gets more people interested in owning any kind of art at all. Like, and we start referring to physical art as, you know, the true <laughs> immutable art. The art itself is immutable as opposed to the ownership. You know, maybe, maybe I'm getting a little off the rails. I think that's true. I think what's what's the big question for me is in that success case, does the digital art you know, economy ultimately eclipse the physical art economy? Whether or not that means the physical art economy is actually shrinking, I think is a separate question. But the digital art economy today is very niche, right? It's a very small uh, subset of the larger art world. And I think, I think when all of these pieces start to work, and if they all start to work, that's when we start to see it grow at a rate where you know, physical art doesn't become devalued. It simply might not be the majority anymore. Um, and I think that's really exciting. Um, I think I, I don't. I don't actually think that that's a that's a bad thing. I think we're we're sort of living in a world today that's similar to, you know, the early days of movies, where you would point a camera at the stage and you would record people, you know, acting out dramatic plays because that's what the world used to look like. So the natural use of the new technology was to reproduce that world, <laughs> right, on film. And then eventually we figured out, well, no, wait, film is much more dynamic, right? We have the close-up. We have all of these things we can do that are different. And that medium ultimately overtook the previous medium. And it doesn't mean that plays are irrelevant now, but it does mean that there's now a newer, more dynamic uh, more accessible, to be honest, the number of people who can go see movies versus the number of people who could see a Shakespeare play live when they were released, right, is suddenly at an order of magnitude greater. I think that's that's what's really exciting to me is because when that happens, that means we've figured out, you know, what is the close-up for NFTs? What is the what is the magical quality that it brings that everyone wants that's not something that the previous physical world provided? Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. This this is a really exciting time, I think, to be either an artist or an art consumer or just an average person trying to uh, 
trying to figure out the future. So I want to ask you one thing, because normally my, my final question to guests is like, what other applications of the blockchain really excite you? You know, and I think we've touched on a couple things and, and the reasons why you like blockchain. So I want to turn it around a little bit and ask, what other innovations do you see in the art world or for creators? Like where, where else do you see innovation beyond what you're building or maybe even beyond blockchain in general? Like where, where do you see value being created for artists beyond this space? You know, because if, if you, if what you're building works with those other innovations and we're just creating a world where instead of, you know, starving, right, they're thriving. Like I want to live in that world anyway. So what else are you seeing that, that you think is going to really help, uh, explode this new world for creators? So that's actually a hard question for me to answer because I, I think there aren't actually enough new tools coming out for artists to let them really take advantage of technology in a way to be able to create exciting digital content. Um, you know, when, when, when we look at what the artists who are popular on additional are using, they tend to be using kind of suites of applications that let them create, right, from everything from their iPad to do the drawing to, you know, filter apps to go and put, you know, sheen and adaption, uh, adapting it to different color schemes and tonal curves, you know, and then pulling it out of that and into another application. Actually, I, 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 I hate to say it, but I think my answer to your, to your question is I wish there was more happening in the digital software world to enable digital artists. Um, and I think the best thing we've got going for us right now is that the uh, sort of physical digital um, tools, you know, things like the, being able to, to draw with your stylus on your iPad, the cost for those things are decreasing, which is good and important. But I actually don't think I'm seeing enough software that's coming out that's really innovating around enabling digital creators to go and create really wildly unique things. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to be lambasted for saying that <laughs> with, a, with a litany of responses of, of, you know, the tools that individuals use. But, but I, I do think that's actually the honest response. I think we're currently looking at a disparate tool world for most artists. And it would be great to see, you know, more concerted efforts, especially from the, from the large corporations who are capable of putting this kind of software out, like the Adobe's of the world, to really be, be creating, um, you know, things that, that further creative arts, not just, not just design arts. Yeah. And wouldn't it be cool if while they're doing that, they can also be embracing this new world of blockchain and, and creating more native tools to help support the open ecosystems that we're creating so that, you know, it doesn't just become another clunky part of the artistic process where you have to figure out where all this goes, right? You can imagine any of these digital cool tool creators integrating with additional, which by, you know, then integrates with OpenSea or wherever else, you know, like I think it's just important. And maybe this is part of your job just in, in terms of educating people about what's possible. You know, we need these, the tool creators that they're, they're a part of this ecosystem too. Maybe, maybe they need to be brought along into the vision that you're pushing at additional that, that this open ownership, open digital ownership ecosystem is pushing. They, they need to, I think they probably need to get on board. I, I totally agree. And, and I would love to see, you know, more applications where, where their core goal is to be a canvas and their core goal is to, to draw as much creativity out of the user as possible. And I think the more of that we see, then the more amazing art we'll see and the more value will come to that art and the more reason people will have to put that art onto the blockchain and distribute it. Amazing. 
Well, if anybody listening to this podcast has been inspired to either create or collect or interact with art of any kind, obviously Additional is a really cool platform for this. So if anybody wants to get started with any of that or learn more about what you guys are building, where can they go to get started or to read or just learn more? Uh, well, you can go to additional.com and download our app. We, we have a blog linked from there where we do artist interviews as well as feature updates. Um, and that would probably be a great place to get started. Amazing. Well, I'll put those links in the podcast description and let people sort of discover for themselves what you're building and what I've discovered to some extent. And uh, I'm really excited to see how you guys keep building and expanding this vision. And I'm excited to see how you continue to integrate with the larger open ecosystem that blockchain's enabling because I, I do think that at the application layer where you guys are, these are the use cases that are going to scale to the millions and hopefully someday billions of users, um, which is sort of what we're all about. So thanks, John, for making the time to come on and talk about what you're doing and what you're thinking about. I, I really got a lot out of it and I'm sure our audience did too. So thank you very much. Great. Thank you.